Big Ten Football Talk Podcast. I am your host, Zach Guggenheim. We're here to talk about week one. It is time for the beginning, the real beginning of the 2022 college football season. Last week was a little bit of an appetizer for us. A couple of games that we got to enjoy. But this week, we get 13 of 14 Big Ten teams. Northwestern has a bye after their big win against Nebraska. So we're going to talk break down all 13 teams as well as a few other teams, a few other big games happening in the beginning of the season. If you want to stay locked into the pod, make sure to follow us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Amazon, wherever you get those, the, the podcast, Spotify, you name it, make sure you follow, subscribe, leave a review, share it with your friends, Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, send me an email, Big10FootballTalk at gmail.com. Before I get started, I want to take a quick note here. If you're a USC fan or a UCLA fan and you're wondering, is he going to cover our teams? Not regularly. Because quite honestly, I'm I don't have the time to add you guys in. And I just don't know you guys. I don't know the teams well enough to really give great analysis. Uh, so if they have a big game, a top 25 game, I'll probably cover it. But other than that, I'm I'm probably going to stay away from USC and UCLA uh, for the duration of this season and next season um, until they actually enter the Big Ten. So I'd love to cover them. I'd love to know everything about every team, but I have a day job. So that's my first note. The second note is my conviction for the pod is I'm going to try to cover every Big Ten team every week and a couple of national games if both teams are either in the top 25 or if it's it's a very important matchup either in a conference race or like it's a, a intra-conference rivalry. So so this week I have, I think, three games that are out of conference that are really important, one of which is a, a top 10 team against an unranked team, but I think it's a very intriguing matchup, and we'll get to it. So that's just – I'm giving you a little bit of the lay of the land here. Also, you'll notice there's a few games where I just kind of say this team's going to blow this team out because – most likely that's going to happen. And if it doesn't, I'm looking at you, Nebraska, then that's totally on you. And that's ridiculous. Okay. I'm just throwing it out there. Nebraska. Also, there's other teams that could do that. Like Minnesota. Don't blow it to New Mexico state. Okay. Okay. We got it. Let's start with the big game happening on Thursday night, Penn state at Purdue uh, that's on September 1st, 8 p.m. on Fox. I got this wrong last week, but it is going to be Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson, the best broadcast team in college football. Uh, Penn State is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I think the big question for this game is which secondary can hold up the best. Uh, I'd argue that Penn State is better, maybe even a lot better, with Cam Porter, Jair Brown, uh, anchoring that back seven, but I would watch out for an underrated secondary for Purdue. They return Corey Trice and Cam Allen. They have five other starters back on defense. 
Purdue also brings in three transfer receivers to, to go after Penn State secondary, two of them from Iowa. Uh, and then Purdue has, I think, maybe the second best tight end in the conference in Payne Durham. And I think he's going to get a little bit more play than Sam Laporta just because of the way Purdue plays offense. So, you know, look for him to exploit the middle of the Nittany Lion defense a little bit. Uh, Aiden O'Connell throwing the throwing the rock for them uh, th- for Purdue. However, Penn State is going to counter with their own transfer receiver. Mitchell Tinsley from Western Kentucky is, is a really dynamic player. Phil Steele thinks he could be a first-team All-Big Ten selection. So th- th- they're expecting big things from him. Uh, they've also got Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert Smith who are no joke at receiver. Um, so I, I think Penn state wins the battle here. I think Sean Clifford, when he's healthy, I think is a, a top five quarterback in the league. I, I think he's actually pretty good when he's healthy. So I like Penn state to go on the road to win. I think against a decent Purdue team, I got Penn state winning by 10, 38 Purdue, 28. They cover the spread. Next is New Mexico State at Minnesota. Again, Minnesota, don't blow this. They play at 9 p.m. on Thursday night, Big Ten Network. And just to just to make the point that they shouldn't blow this, there is no current line for this game because they should blow them off the field. New Mexico State's defense allowed, on average, almost 200 yards a game, five and a half yards per carry. Uh, per carry last year they're playing minnesota who loves to run the ball they get mo ibrahim back they've got trey potts back they have a good offensive line pj fleck don't row the boat into an iceberg okay don't do it buddy minnesota wins 48 to 10 and again they, they don't cover because there's no line don't blow it minnesota all right western michigan at number 15 michigan state this is a friday night kick 7 p.m espn Michigan State's a 20-point favorite. Now, before you write off Western Michigan, they did upset Pitt last year. Remember, Pitt won the ACC. They, they beat them 44-41. to 41. They returned seven starters on defense, as well as their top two running backs, Tyler, who's a second-team All-Mac selection, and Jefferson. Michigan State brings back most of their defense, but they were the worst in the country in pass defense. And, and there's a little optimism that they'll be better. They're anchored by Cal Halliday at linebacker and Xavier Henderson at safety. I still have questions surrounding the tailback position as Broussard, who, who transfers from Colorado, and Jalen Berger from Wisconsin, they transfer in. I, I just don't think either of them are Kenneth Walker the third. They do. They, they have talent, for sure. I just don't know if they're going to pick up the system like Walker did. I do think Michigan State wins. But I think it's going to be more competitive than people think. So I've got Michigan State 31, Western Michigan 20. Also on Friday night, Illinois at Indiana. This is an 8 p.m. kick on FS1. Indiana, surprisingly, is a three-point favorite, although that would just mean that on a neutral field, they'd be even. So Indiana's got two key transfers, one at quarterback and Connor Basilak. Uh, from Missouri and Sean Shivers at tailback. He's from Auburn. Both are probably upgrades from what they had, which isn't really saying much. Uh, 
just to be fair, I'm not talking about Penix when healthy, but Penix, I, I believe he's at UCLA now, either UCLA or Washington. I, I'm blanking on which team. Um, they do have a veteran secondary. Uh, Taiwan Mullen is really good in that in that back seven, and they brought in several transfers to bolster the depth uh, for, on Indiana's team. Still, I, I'm I'm a little surprised that they're the favorite. I, I like Illinois. They have a, a game under their belt, so they're not going to be as rusty uh, as Indiana will be. Chase Brown, I think, looks really good. I think he might be the best playmaker on both sides or on, on both teams. And I think Illinois can just do some things with Luke Ford. I know he, he didn't have a catch last game, but Luke Ford, I think, is a really good tight end. I, I really like Illinois' playmakers on the outside and Isaiah Williams and, and Casey uh, Washington. I think they've got some good players there. Tommy DeVito is going to struggle getting the ball down the field. So that they're going to be depending on those playmakers to take the ball in space and to make something out of it, which I think they can do. And I, I think it, it Indiana's team is deflated after last year, whereas I think Illinois is building momentum. So I, that don't, I know momentum is kind of a buzzword. Don't take it lightly. I think Bielema gets this done. I think they move to 2-0, Illinois 23, Indiana 17. South Dakota State at Iowa. This is on Saturday, 12 p.m. on FS1. There is no line. Iowa somehow is going to make South Dakota State look decent early because they just they do it somehow. Like They'll beat the crud out of somebody or they'll upset a top-five team. But you know they'll they'll keep it close with uh, an FCS team or a MAC team that you're like, why are you struggling with them? And so I think it's going to be close at halftime, and then Iowa will churn out a win in the second half. So uh, Hawkeye fans, don't get mad at me. I think you're going to win. I think you're going to win comfortably. But just don't be surprised if it's like thirteen to ten at the end of the first half. I got Iowa 37, South Dakota State 13. Buffalo at Maryland. It's a 12 p.m. kick on Big Ten, on the Big Ten Network. Maryland is a 23-point favorite. I think we're going to see a little bit of how real Maryland is going to be in this game. You know, Buffalo is – they're not a great team, but they got some transfers to beef up their offensive line. I think they have a good linebacker in James Patterson. Uh, I think it's Jamin Muse transfers in from Boston College. He's a veteran safety. So, you know, they've got some pieces. I do think Maryland will win. I think their their talent, uh, especially at the re receiver position, uh, is, is going to be able to outscore Buffalo. My question is, does the defense dominate a team that they should? Does Tagovailoa dominate in the passing game like he should? I do like Maryland's offense. I think they blow the doors off starting in the second quarter. Got Maryland 48, Buffalo 17. Rutgers at Boston College. It's a 12 p.m. kick on the ACC network. Boston College is favored by seven. I think this is a real unfortunate game for Rutgers. Uh, it's not a good starting game for them to build momentum. Jurgovich at quarterback for Boston College, I think, has NFL potential. Garwo is an all-conference caliber running back. Jalen Gill and Zay Flowers at receiver could be a potent receiver combo. So I think that's already going to be tough. And then Boston College, 
returns eight starters. And I, I just don't see how Rutgers is going to generate enough offense. Even with Gavin Wimsat, he's the projected starter in this game. I, I think he's, he's can do some magic maybe, but I just, even with Shiano, with his team being ready, I think they'll have some trickery. I think they'll get a score or two. I just don't think it's going to be enough. I think Boston College has a little too much talent. And I think I think the fact that they have Bill Jerkovich, he he's especially when he's healthy, he he's a he can be a pretty good quarterback, like NFL caliber quarterback. So I've got Boston College winning by 10. I wouldn't be surprised to see a bigger margin, but I, I do think Shiano is going to have some tricks up his sleeve. Got Boston College winning 27, Rutgers 17. And last pick before the break, Colorado State at number eight, Michigan, a 12 p.m. kick on ABC. Michigan is a 27-point favorite. I'm going to just take a minute and talk about Michigan's quarterback situation. They came out yesterday saying – that they were going to have Cade McNamara start game one, have J.J. McCarthy start game two, and that they were going to pick a starter for the rest of the season game three. A lot of people were really frustrated about this decision. I love it. I think it's a great, a great move by Jim Harbaugh. And I'm not saying that as a Buckeye fan trying to sling dirt or sling mud at, at Michigan. I said in my best case, worst case, the way they're going to win a national championship is if they start J.J. McCarthy. What they are doing here is they're going to see if they can make a reasonable concession to the fan base and to the team if J.J. McCarthy is the better player. I think it's brilliant. I think it's absolutely brilliant because I think McCarthy is more talented and I think they can get farther with him. And they have a couple games under their, like to, to make that decision where it's, it's not going to really cost them. So I think it's a smart play. I think it's the, in a sense, the right call because especially with a senior quarterback or a veteran quarterback who got you to the playoff, if you're just saying, actually, we're going to bench you for JJ McCarthy. I, I think you could lose the locker room. Whereas you say, Hey, we're going to start each of them one game and we're going to see how, how the offense works. I mean, I, I think it, you have a similar situation to Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence at, at Clemson. And obviously they, they took four games for that one, but they ultimately put Trevor Lawrence in. I think you have a similar situation here. I, I think it's a great, great move by Michigan. I think Colorado State, uh, they have a new head coach. They get a lot of transfers from Nevada where their head coach came from. Uh, it's Norvell. Uh, Norvell is the the head coach coming over from Nevada. It's not going to matter. Michigan's offensive line is going to bully them around. I've got Michigan winning 45 to 17. And I think Cade McNamara will look good. I think it'll look good. Um, so that's, that's my, my thought process on those first eight games. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back with the last six. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. 
And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Welcome back to the Big Ten Football Talk podcast. We're talking North Dakota, Nebraska, 3.30 p.m. on the Big Ten Network. I think Nebraska just looks their wounds and they murder North Dakota. I I just don't think North Dakota is going to do anything very similar to last year. You know, they, they lost to Illinois, came back and beat, beat the crud out of a FCS team. It's not going to mean much. Um, But I I do have Nebraska beating North Dakota handily, Nebraska 56, North Dakota 10, Illinois state versus number 18, Wisconsin, uh, 7 p.m. kick on Fox Sports 1. Again, there's no line. Uh, Wisconsin's going to run through them. Braylon Allen has a big day on the ground. Wisconsin 49, Illinois State 3. Here's where we get to some interesting games. Um, we had some interesting games in the first part of the show, but uh, the first two I just did, uh, if there's any struggle at all, I'll be very concerned about both those teams. These these games are, are going to be fun, I think. So first up, we got number 23, Cincinnati versus number 19, Arkansas. It's a 330 kick on ESPN. Arkansas is a six-point favorite. I'm honestly a little surprised at the line here. Again, just uh, as a reminder, too, lines can move. I'm, I'm recording this on Sunday. So lines could obviously move as money comes in on either lines. But, but I... Typically, they they're it's helpful to know what the line is early on, I think, because you get kind of a better sense of what Vegas thinks this team actually is going to be and what where, where they're going to get both sides of the money. Um, but I'm surprised by the line here. Uh, Cincinnati honestly lost all their best players from a year ago. They lost Desmond Ritter. They lost Jerome Ford. Uh, they lost, uh, and that's that's on the offense. They lost Alec Pierce, who's a third rounder in the NFL draft. That they lost uh, Kobe Bryant and Sauce Gardner on the defensive uh, secondary. You know, Sauce Gardner was the number four pick in the draft. And while well, I, I think they have some talent on the lines, like I, I just, just don't think the Bearcats are going to be able to do much offensively. Even, even though I'm not super high on Arkansas's defense, like Cincinnati's offensive line is, it's good. It's good. I, I don't know if it can hold up against an SEC defensive line. And I'm not sure their defensive line can hold up against the Razorbacks offensive line. So I just, I think the Razor Bar, the Razorbacks, they're going to pound away. They're going to grind out a fairly convincing win. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how Luke Fickle responds to, to the loss last year um it, it against Alabama but I I just don't think you know they, they've got they've got KJ Jefferson who I think is going to be a really good quarterback for Arkansas he's a big man they've got a couple of, of receivers that I think could be really good in Landers and the transfer from Oklahoma Hazelwood I got Arkansas winning 35 to 16 next up we have number seven Utah at Florida, 7 p.m. kick on ESPN. Utah is a two and a half point favorite. I really like Utah. I think Cam Rising is really good. I think they're they're a high character team under Kyle Whittingham. He's a great coach. Tavion Thomas is a talented 
physical running back. They have a big physical offensive line. I think Clark Phillips anchors a secondary that will be fully healthy, unlike in the Rose Bowl where they, they got torched by Ohio State in that Rose Bowl. But a lot of that damage was done against, you know, converted running back as, a, as their second corner and backup safeties. I think they're going to be healthier there. I like their defense. Florida, on the other hand, I'm, I'm just not sure what to make of them because I think they have a lot of talent. You know, they, they, they kept it close with Alabama last year. I think Anthony Richard, Richardson could be a special talent at quarterback. Their line play should be good, but they were a bit of a disaster in the second half of the season last year. And nothing that Billy Napier has done has inspired any confidence in me that he's going to do well. So I'm, I'm tempted to pick Florida because of the SEC brand. But I believe in Utah. I really do. And maybe that's, maybe I'm being, maybe I'm too high on them. I, I think if they lose this game, they can still make the playoff. But I, I, I just think Utah is going to be a little bit better. I, I think Florida probably has a little bit more speed, a little more flash, a little more pizzazz. But I think Utah pulls it out. I've got Utah winning 28, Florida 24. The next uh, game is, I think, the second best game on the slate. It's number 11, Oregon, at number three, Georgia. It is the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. And my immediate thought, without looking at Oregon beforehand, was Georgia is going to roll Oregon. After what happened to Oregon last year in the Pac-12 championship game, they got murdered by... Oklahoma in their bowl game. It's just not going to be good. Dan Lanning comes over from Georgia. He was the Georgia defensive coordinator. So he comes over to, to coach the Oregon Ducks. They get Bo Nix, who uh, he played at Auburn. I don't think Bo Nix is all that great. But he can run. And, you know, he's got a good arm. Like I, he's a Tebow-esque quarterback. And I don't mean that he's as good or as brilliant as Tebow was at times. Tebow couldn't throw in the NFL, but T, you know, Tebow was one of the best college quarterbacks maybe ever just the way he, he played and his stats and all that stuff. He's a, a tremendous college quarterback and Bo Nix has kind of that skill set. Like he's a bigger, he's a, he can run downhill. He can throw. He can make some things happen. And then as you look a little further at Oregon, the entire offensive line comes back. The entire offensive line is back and they're healthy. If you look at their defense, I think it's nine starters that they have back on defense. Their entire front seven is back. And they've got maybe the le- the best linebackers that Georgia will see until they get to Bama and Justin Flo and Noah Sewell. And where is Georgia going to attack them? The- their strengths is the tight end position and the running backs and the, and the, the, the physical pounding of the offensive line. 
Oregon matches up really well with Georgia. And at least from a personnel standpoint. And I said this on the playoff show. I people underestimate how hard it is to replace this many starters and draft picks. I get it. Georgia has recruited out recruited everybody, including Alabama. I get it. And they've got studs on the defense to fill in for those guys. And Nolan Smith, he comes back. He's a stud linebacker. And they have other guys. I've, I'm blanking on some of the other guys that they, they have back. And I, I do think Stetson Bennett acquitted himself quite well last year. And I do think he's got some talent on the offensive line coming back. He's got three starters coming back on the offensive line. He loses his top two receivers, his top two running backs. We don't know about Kendall Milton. Uh, I think he's hurt. So he, he might be good enough to play. I'm not sure. That's a lot of guys to replace on both the offense and the defense. And I know they, the, the, the sky is the limit for them. But you're talking about an experienced team with an experienced quarterback who knows Georgia well with a new head coach who also knows Georgia well. And I just, I might be foolish here, but I just think I I would not have picked this until I looked at the rosters. I think Oregon wins. I think Oregon upsets Georgia. I've got Oregon 27, Georgia 23. The, the, The Georgia line is 17 and a half. So nobody is, nobody thinks Oregon is going to come close to Georgia. I think Oregon wins. I'm picking them. I'm picking them straight up. And I think it's going to be a competitive football game. I think, I think Oregon's actually a pretty bad matchup for, for Georgia, especially with where they're at. If this was later in the season, I would, I would pick Georgia by 18 plus, but at the beginning of the season, I'm taking Oregon. I like Oregon in this game, which brings us to the game of the week in the big 10 and nationally. It is the only top five matchup uh, in week one. It is number five, Notre Dame at number two, Ohio state, seven 30 on ABC, Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbst, Kirk Herbstreet, Holly Rowe on the call. Ohio state's a 17 point favorite. And I, I like both teams. I've got both teams in the playoff. And I think people are just underselling Notre Dame, in my opinion. I think Notre Dame on the lines are much better than people think. And I, I think people have Notre Dame fatigue. They're kind of like the Yankees in that, well, Everybody likes them, so everybody that doesn't like them has to hate them. But if you look at their if if you look at their their roster, you know their offensive line returns four starters. A lot of them are really really good. Their defensive line 
you know, Isaiah Foskey, I think is going to be a, just a really tough, uh, tough player to guard against that, that defensive, their, their line play is really good. I think the front seven in general is going to be really good for Notre Dame. My, my concern with Notre Dame, Tyler Buckner is probably more of a dual threat. I don't know if he can attack downfield. They lost Avery Davis, who a lot of people thought would be their, their top receiver. I'm pretty sure he's out for the season with the ACL tear. And so they're thin at receiver. They're thin at running back. One of their other running backs, I believe, uh, is out for an extended amount of time. So there, there are question marks with Notre Dame. But it is the first game. Ohio State's installing a new offense or new defense. And Ohio State hasn't always done well with dual threat quarterbacks. They, they haven't done well with physical teams. So I, I think there's a world where Notre Dame is physical and can bully Ohio State around a little bit in this game, especially early on as they're kind of getting their footing. If you remember the past year, Ohio State against Oregon, they got bullied and it took them a little bit to kind of get their rhythm. Against Michigan, they got bullied. It took them a little bit to get their rhythm. Against Utah, they got bullied. It took them a little bit to get their rhythm. And I think people are underrating Notre Dame's physicality in this game. I, and, and Michael Mayer is a matchup nightmare, especially because I, I think the safeties and linebackers, when put in a good scheme, I think they're good. I don't know if there's anybody that's like first team all Big Ten. I'm not sure there's anyone that's third team all Big Ten, except maybe Josh. Well, Josh Proctor, I think, is really is is they're going to be really thankful to have him back uh, at the safety position, but I'm just not sure that the safety position and uh, the linebacker position is, is going to be good enough to keep Michael Mayer in check. So I, there, there, I think Notre Dame can do some business. I would not be surprised if this game is close at halftime. And I think it's going to be a four quarter game. Like I think it could be 28, 27 going into the fourth quarter. Here's, here's the issue for Notre Dame, though. I just don't think they have the skill and talent on the back end of their defense to keep up with Ohio State's speed and, and skill on the outside with their receiving core. And, and listen, I think Alabama's got a great receiving core. I think USC has a, good, uh, a great receiving core. I think Texas has a really good receiving core. I think Maryland has a good receiving core. There's a lot of really good receiving cores out there. Ohio State is in a tier by itself. And that's not me being a homer or being anything. I mean, you're, you're talking about a receiver room that might be better than last year. And they had Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave on that team. There's a lot of talk about Julian Fleming and how he's put it all together. You've got Emeka Egbuka, a five-star receiver, who's who might be their fourth best receiver that i mean that's absurd i think the running backs are really good and i think if, if they can if they can run the ball well uh with Travion Henderson and uh Mayan Williams this offense is is maybe going to be the best offense in the country and 
while I think Notre Dame can slow the running game down because of the strength on the interior, I'm just not sure they can get enough pressure on Stroud to protect their defensive backs. And so I think you, you have a world where Notre Dame is up 13 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. And then Ohio State blitzes them. And then maybe Notre Dame kind of gets back into it. So maybe it's 28-13 in the third quarter. And then they force a turnover and they 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 run some clock and they get maybe they get an interception off of a, a you know a Foskey um uh sack a strip sack and and pre- or strip pressure and they Stroud throws a pick and you know maybe that they they are in the game and it's 28-27 and I think that that's very very reasonable and then I think in the fourth quarter it's again when the game's on the line I think Stroud is going to hit his receivers in stride. I think he, I think Stroud is a big day. I think the receivers has, have a big day. I, I think the guy, I, I'm, I'm very high on Marvin Harrison. Like I think everybody knows about JSN, Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think Marvin Harrison and Julian Fleming are going to have big games. I think both have at least a touchdown, maybe two each. I think it's a big CJ Stroud day. And I, I think they they end up winning 42 to 27. And they kind of tell the rest of the world in this game, hey, we might have some issues to work out with the defense still, but we're not getting pushed around anymore. Like I think I think Notre Dame pushes them a little early, and then I think they they settle in and they they assert their dominance in the second half and especially in the fourth quarter. I like Ohio State 42 to 27. Let me know your thoughts. Send me an email, Big Ten Football Talk at gmail.com. Find us, find us on Instagram uh, and Twitter on Big Ten Football Talk. Those are the handles. And then feel free to leave a review, share the podcast. Thank you for listening. This has been the Big Ten Football Talk Podcast. Signing off. Take care. God bless.